uh, you know, the looks like a tornado, they don't call them that anymore, that hit the crops and, and wetlands in the middle of the country, and in Iowa, and Nevada, and I mean, it's just across the board. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last destiny. Welcome to the Ruthless Variety Program. Those were the articulate stylings of the president, 46th president of the United States, Joe Biden. I have no idea what the hell he's talking about. So I heard him say something about, like, uh, tornadoes. But they're not called that anymore, so I don't know what we call them. And the now. wet, the wetlands of of Nevada, of Nevada, which is also in the middle of the country, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> it's a desert, so it's hard to hard to see how it's a wetland. And uh, I mean, God, God, I mean, it's an everyday. We could open every show with. We this really day. could. It's gotten to that point. Uh, they got to be concerned, don't they? Have to be concerned. Well, I heard, I heard that right. Didn't Politico have that thing that his staff are like? Every time he, he like steps up to the mic, they're like, "Yikes!" <laughs> I think they're like on background. It's begun. People are trying to be like, "This isn't my fault." You can't do the job. Yeah, <laughs> we got a very very big episode for you today. Uh, our sponsor, Free to Learn, which is staying on the topic of education. I can't wait. We're going to do a special interview with Ali Mari on that. It's terrific. Uh, can't wait. We also have Kevin Brady, Congressman Kevin Brady who was basically the author of what I, I think is the biggest legislative achievement during the Trump years, which is the tax reform bill that led to this just great economic expansion. He's going to talk about what Democrats are trying to do with their $3.5 trillion tax increase. Uh, and we got a lot of fun in between, folks. That's this right. Is be Lots good. of candy on this one. Let's go. Lots of candy. So the thing that I want to... I've gotten a lot of feedback from our last episodes. A lot of feedback. Yeah. yeah. There's some concern out there about your um, your 75 day oh, the sobriety <laughs> pledge. It's it's more than sobriety. I mean, uh, you know, I'm just keeping it rolling. I'm I'm enjoying uh, this lifestyle of eating healthy, getting exercise, and uh, it's not like I'll never drink again. I'm probably gonna have drinks tonight. So well, I'm gonna give it. You know, here's a great opportunity. You're drinking tonight. Gonna it's have a, drinks tonight. Are, why not drinks? drink with your friends? Well, no, I will. He, he, but here's the thing, Michael is that I'm going to give them an opportunity. Okay. What I've done here, for our listeners who can't see, is I've poured a lovely glass of this Maker's Mark 2020 limited release that uh, I think is just yeah, terrific. It's good bourbon. Um, I've, I've set it down in front of Smug, and I'm allowing him to, uh, to take the sip. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait. I, I had this. Come down. on. I'm going to have this nice bourbon flight. This is what I've been looking forward to. I'm, I'm going to do it. And the thing I, is now, like, liar. I, I'd say that's the, <laughs> liar. That's, the, that's the other benefit is like, uh, you know, the discipline that, I mean, I get the discipline. Days. I get the discipline. I understand it. I respect it. And you've done it for 75 days in solidarity coming out of Labor Day. In solidarity with your brothers here, the fraternity of this podcast, if you don't have your first sip of alcohol here on the program, what are you doing to the listeners? 
What you're you you're going to go out? You're going to go out there and you're going to you're going to have a drink with some other people instead of us. Instead of the minions. How dare you? Listen, the minions. I'll, I'll the drink minions again. I'll have, drink again on the show. The minions have asked that we provide you the opportunity to have your first drink with them. No, I saw the the minions. A bunch are jumping on seventy five hard. No, yeah, no, and I and, and, and I appreciate that. I, I I understand. I'm just saying in solidarity, solidarity forever with with your brethren here on the program. If you don't have your first drink after all this time here on the program, what are we doing here? Yeah, the peer pressure doesn't work. I thought it doesn't work. I thought liar. <laughs> I thought we had something here. I I thought we were friends. I thought we were friends. We are. Absolutely friends. I thought, well, more than us. I think the audience thought we were friends. Yeah. And yet he stares into the microphone blankly. He's drinking water. He's drinking Fiji water. No, with green stuff in it. That's right. What's the green stuff? It's, you know, it's vitamins. It's it's, it's more of the health kick that I'm on. So he's going to sit here. He's going to drink green water. And then he's going to go out and he's going to drink with people who are not us. It's a slap in the face. It is. It's a slap directly in the face, <laughs> and I feel it deeply. Disrespected. I feel you're, you're, disrespected. You're welcome to join me. With the water and the green stuff? No, no thank not, you. We can grab drinks tonight. Wow. But you won't do it here with the variety program? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not even you. a sip. Not, not one sip. sip. Not even a sip. Dude, one sip. After, after five days, I am impervious. Hold on, hold on, though. Hold on. You won't take a sip right now, but two hours from now, you will take a sip with people who are not part of the program. Yeah, sure. Oh, I'm just deeply dismayed. It is just so disappointing. Well, it feels like a lack of commitment is what it feels like. (laughs) It's what it feels like. You know, I I went back and we were, as we were listening to the first hundred episodes, you had such great content. You think so? Yeah. Yes. I always do. Yeah. You do. You had such great content. And I can't help but think you had a superpower going through you at that point. And it's sitting in front of you about three and a half half inches from your, from your right hand. Right now. No? All right. Jesus Christ. You made this uncomfortable. Iron will. Yeah. 100% here for the show. Here's the five-star reviews. I love doing these things. They're so great because they're just like instant feedback on on what you guys are, what everybody's kind of bringing to the table. And the yeah, I, I, I just love to hear directly from people their unvarnished take of the program. You yeah. know, it's it makes it, you know, outside of Twitter, like we'll, we'll see it on Twitter and everything, but like it's nice to get a little bit of feedback, you know, on the program specifically. Yes. And, and, you know, we, we give the people what they want. Like this five-star review from Freezeman25 says, the people need more candy. Boys, you spoiled us with your candy, and now I'm practically diabetic. <laughs> I crave the feeling of laughing so hard that I nearly pass out while y'all play a game, mocking lefties and the non-humans, parentheses, journos. In all honesty, this is the best podcast in the world, and I'd listen to y'all read a telephone book. But I'm going to be honest. I don't want to learn. I want to laugh so hard in the car <laughs> on my morning commute that the person in the car next to me thinks I'm having a medical emergency. <laughs> You have the power to do this, and the more you make it happen, the more I need it. Keep up the good work. Oh, so God bless what, this yeah, person. That's right. So so we're going to give him some candy on this episode. I got to tell you, Freeze Man, you got to DM Smug. You got to tell him you need to get back into the maker's mark. Yeah. <laughs> because that's how, if you want medical emergencies, brother, that's the best way to get there. <laughs> this next review comes from Lisa N. Sinhuri. How do I explain? Is that? S- it looks like Lisa N. C. in hurry. Lisa NC in hurry. Oh, North Carolina in hurry. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. 
Ruthless Courage, I love to hear the determination, courage, and conviction in your voices. It's part of the Ruthless Foundation, and you still have joy and endless humor. I laugh out loud with you. That's my favorite part. God, that's great. Wonderful. It's so good. That's great. Love it's our so the best good. the best part about doing this program, for me at least, is is just like authentically getting upset <laughs> as we're talking about things and 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 being on this this podcast where like I can just go off. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Like it's it's therapy. It really is. But also just not taking in everything from a media filter. Like we'll give you what's happening and then give the honest take from under the hood of yeah. like why this is so dumb. It's so dumb. You know? It's just it's a fun it's this has been as fun for us, believe me, it's been more fun for us than it has been for you, but I'm glad you're enjoying it. On the vegetable side, um we did a a, a segment last week that has brought us, I think, a little bit closer into the school issue. Yeah. Kids going to school, you know, for those of us who are parents, it's all we can think about and talk about. Obviously, this is incredibly important, probably the most important stuff in our lives. And we got a ton of feedback. So we wanted to, we wanted to up, re-up that with our sponsor today, um, Free to Learn, and Ali Mari, who is an incredible advocate for our, our children's education. So last week we got a lot of really great feedback from a deep dive that we did on the issue of school choice about sort of expanding upon the issue of education, which is on the minds of like basically every parent alive right now. We wanted to bring in somebody who is running an incredible organization called Free to Learn. Um, Ali Mari, how are you? I'm well. How are you guys? We're really good. Really, so Allie, we've known each other for a while. You've been involved in, in a bunch of different things in government, and and you've now wrapped your mind around, which I think all of us are pretty thankful of, a, an important nonpartisan organization that is trying to support parents, caregivers, community organizations, everything, sort of in in looking at the education our kids are getting. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and so we're a, we're a fairly new organization born out of the need for parents to have um, a hand in advocating for their kids and, and what they're learning in school. Uh, so we first launched in the end of June and within the first two weeks of us, us launching, uh, we've heard from parents in all 50 states. So this is by no means an isolated problem or incident in any particular state or uh, enclave. It's happening all over the place across the country. Um, and so that's been a really meaningful partnership as we've started to get off the ground is partnering with these these parents to help them as they have these conversations with their school boards. Do you think that uh, COVID has offered a unique circumstance for your organization? And, and, and in saying that, what I mean is basically, you know, with lockdowns and with, you know, school on Zoom, um, a lot of parents have been exposed to their school curriculum for their, their children for the first time. Do you think yeah, that's, exactly. that's been a way that you've been able to reach a lot of people? 100%. Um, I think up to this point, a lot of people had heard 
anecdotes about what's going on in someone else's classroom or in someone else's school. And they think that because they have a good relationship with their teachers or with a sports team that um, it's not happening there. But as parents were forced to be kind of these de facto teachers or, or supervisors, they're sitting there and it kind of pulled back the curtain as to what kids are learning or not in the classroom. And I think that's where we started to see that there truly has been a focus lately on activism over academics. And that's what's got people really frustrated across the spectrum. You know, in a, in a handful of places where we're working, we've got um, a parent in our coalition who uh, was a Bernie Sanders primary voter. And then on the other side, we have um, some supporters of, of President Trump. And so like across wow. the spectrum, we have parents that are united on this issue because they're dissatisfied with the academic education that their kids are receiving. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> the thing that strikes me about your sort of core mission is to take politics out of the classroom, right? It's, it's not about a conservative bent. It's not even about, you know, trying to get a certain ideology expressed. It's about it just eliminating that altogether and get your kids taught decently, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we see the United States falling behind some of our, our peers and adversaries around the world um, in basic things like math, reading, science. And that's a really unifying issue. If you ask literally anyone who's a parent what they care about their kids getting out of school, it's, you know, learning and being kind to their friends, you know, just the basics. And that's not happening. I mean, there's no shortage of headlines, two great ones out of California just this week where, um, you know, you had a, a teacher's union head saying that um, there is no learning loss because now kids know about insurrection and coups. And then another teacher with a Antifa flag <laughs> saying that he's got 180 days to make a revolutionary. I mean, this just has parents fuming, absolutely fuming. And again, it knows no ideological bounds. I mean, parents, parents are frustrated. I think the biggest disservice the media has done to this as a whole to date is to try and paint this as being a partisan issue when the reality is parents across the board just want this stuff out of their kids' classroom. Right. Well, I have, I have a quick question. So if I'm a concerned parent, whether I'm concerned about the curriculum my kids are being taught or if, you know, the school isn't even giving me access to know what they're being taught, what's what's the first thing I should do? So every state has a parental bill of rights. That's a good place to start. Um, they're, they're basically requiring that schools have to interact with you about exactly as you just said, curriculum, um, what the kids are being taught, you have the ability to opt out, et cetera. Um, good place to start is with that school's uh, teacher or superintendent. But if you're looking for help from an organization such as ours, if you visit our website at freetolearn.org, we have a place right on our homepage for you to share your story. And then a member of our team will reach out to you and we can help you actually like shepherd through that process. That's fantastic. So coach, yeah, so we can help coach you through those conversations and make sure that you're asking the right people for the right information so that you're actually getting some some form of information back. Um, a lot of times what's happening with parents is they get bogged down in the bureaucracy and it's intentional. Um, so these school districts are saying, okay, well, you need to file a formal FOIA request. It needs to be against this teacher. And there are some legal fees and processing fees. And they do everything that they can to be able to keep their little, you know, pod the way that it is and they do not like to have their apple cart upset so we can help upset the apple cart and make sure that you're <laughs> you're getting the information in a timely manner because you know sometimes by the time these parents are getting the information back they're already three units ahead and now you're behind mm. um so 
that's a place that we can certainly be helpful. That's that's immensely valuable because, you know, for a lot of people, <clears throat> you know, they've they've never been involved in this part of the process before. Right. Right. It's like, you know, your kids went to school. You assume that they were learning history yeah, or learning math. Taught. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then they come home and you ask them, you know, how their day was. And then we had the pandemic and we had Zoom school and these parents were exposed to a lot of stuff that that wasn't core to the mission of, of the school well, that they were funding. Downright shocking. Right? And 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 so I guess I'm just I'm I'm immensely grateful that you're doing this because it is, like you said, it's just an arcane process where mm-hmm. if you were a parent who had no idea, you know, the power structures at play, like how 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 could you could you could make your voice heard in the system? You know, I, I mean, I compare it, you know, you look at, at our politics today, um, you know, with 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 parents trying to influence their school boards and all of this sort of stuff. I compare it a lot to like the way that, you know, uh, grassroots Americans were organizing back in 2009 and 2010. You know, a lot of people for the first time trying to get involved, um, you know, with with the political process. And I I just feel like you know, for, for a lot of people, this is intimidating, yeah. right? Cause like they just don't know how it works. Yeah. And another thing that we haven't even touched on yet, that's along that same line of thinking is a lot of parents come to us and they say, look, all this stuff's going on. A, I feel like I'm alone. I'm afraid to talk to my friends and peers about it because I don't want the backlash personally. But beyond that, they're fa- afraid of recourse and repercussions from the school and from being, quote, doxxed within their community. Right. I mean, we've seen that as these parents start to come forward, um, other parents or groups are calling their employers, their yeah. places of work. Wow. You know, they're, they're afraid their kids aren't going to get minutes on the soccer team. I mean, it's absurd. And so another place that, that we can help is we help to kind of build that coalition within a community because a lot of times once you start to kind of yank on that thread, you realize there's a lot more people who think they're alone and you're not. Mm. And so before you know it, we've got, you know, the, that handful of parents from across the spectrum who are able to work together on this, this common issue and start to chip away at, at stuff going on inside of school. Yeah, that's great. I that's mean, so great. I feel like the worst thing that's ever happened to the left wing purveyors of the nonsense is the fact that Allie became a mom and got yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, like I said, we've known you for a lot of years. You've been involved in politics, involved in government, and you've been extraordinarily effective in everything you you've done but you getting involved in this i mean i can already see it's just paying huge dividends it's it's been a lot of fun and i think the thing that's most interesting about it is we've been able to really truly like rack up some some quote wins um in helping parents you know in in fairfax we recently saw um this superintendent resign or quote not have his contract renewed um and that's a result of some of the efforts that we've partnered with parents on the ground on and then in arizona um one of these curriculum that was being proposed actually got removed from the school district so we've had some success and again we're a fairly new organization so if if there are folks that are listening that are having similar problems and, and need a hand we're certainly happy to help yeah, or just information. I mean, it sounds to me like mm-hmm. you're sort of a one-stop shop for for parents who are looking or are concerned at some level, but don't know what to do at the first step. Exactly. Yeah. Well, listen, 
you got to keep up the good work. This is as good as it gets. I hope you'll stay in touch on all of this, Allie, because it's incredibly important, particularly when we get into the school year. We know just from the feedback we got from our, our deep dive last week how invested people are in this set of issues, like Duncan said, maybe for the first time. And so you're doing great work. Thank you. Definitely keep you updated. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. All right. So, listen, she's just as sharp as a tack. And that group is getting it done. They're moving the needle. You know, like, uh, uh, I, I, you know, before they came on, I read the website. They've already started notching up wins. Like, there are parents in Arizona who the school was not giving them access to the curriculum. Yeah. And then they, you know, they went in and they set them straight. So, good for them. It's just great, great that group. you've got, you know, people who are getting involved in this process for the first time. And I think, you know, there's a lot of similarities to what we saw in 2009, 2010 with the grassroots, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people getting involved in the political process for the first time where like groups like this are critical in that process because people say, I want to get involved. I don't know how to get involved. Like, I don't know the bureaucracy. All of this is very archaic to me. Without groups like this, I don't know how people could make their voices heard. Totally. And they don't want to be intimidated and everything else. Right. As, she, as she explained, I mean, it's pretty daunting to go show up in front of your school board, which is entirely bought and paid for by unions. Yeah. You know, and, and try to voice your opinion. I mean, we know we've had experiences actually in this room of people who've watched, you know, parents of special education children. Yeah. Sitting on Zoom and they cut off your fucking mic. Right. You know. Right. And then we're going to talk more about renaming the school than how we're going to get kids back to school. Yeah. Like that's more important to a lot of these administrators than doing their job. Exactly. And it's incredibly, incredibly frustrating. So hats off to Allie and the work that they're doing. We, we asked that we can get updates from her. They, they say they've got a bunch of different projects working. Yeah. We can't wait to hear more. Thank you for doing it. Let's, um, let's turn the page. We have very important Hollywood head news. Let's go. Let's get the let's get the song. I love that. That so is much. such a good it's one. Good. I remember. So I remember a couple of weeks back, we had a, a five star review that asked you to do an original, like some kind of a voice rendition, Duncan. Yeah. But I'm not sure we can improve upon that. Well, yeah. I mean, what I like about that song is I can picture Hen like coming out the onto the red passes. carpet, yeah. you yeah. know, and like flashbulbs going off. Yeah. I can, I can only feel it. I can only think like if you did it as an original, you'd have to do it like sort of like a Robin Leach sort of thing. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Lifestyles of the rich and famous. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Hollywood hen caught canoodling, <laughs> you know, like something like oh, that. I love it. You know, Hollywood like hen's never caught canoodling. Yeah. No, you know what I mean. Like you've seen those Robin Leach things. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I think that's the right vibe. Yeah. I'm so listen, hen, what's going on? We have some very big, big free Britney news. I'm so excited about it. Although cautiously optimistic, because mm-hmm. I feel like every single time we have good news, you get burned a little. Yeah, and yeah. it's always. You know, it's never right away. There's always multiple layers. Right. Um, But this week, Jamie Spears filed a petition to terminate the conservatorship, or maybe more accurately, petitioned asking the court to decide if the conservatorship should end. 
But this is a huge about face from her dad. That's great. I mean, just a month ago, he was saying, this needs to stay in place for forever. This is saving her life. You know, this conservatorship will basically never end. And now, all of a sudden, he's like, actually, we should take a look at this and see if she still needs it. Wow. What's your, Smug, what's your reaction to that? I mean, well, you know, you got to think about the history there, right? Like, I remember there's those photos of Britney. She, like, shaved her head. Was it she had an umbrella or something? Was like breaking into cars with it, hitting cars. I don't know what that story was about. Hollywood had my, you know. Yeah, I, we know it's about. I don't like to talk about it much. See, so like that was I like mean, fifteen years. Yeah, ago. But, right. But isn't she that, was going through a time. She was right. going through a time. But isn't that when like the conservatorship started and like during conservatorship, like zero instances? Wait, of, this like, is this is your time. argument for the conservatorship? No, he's. Well, that's I'm his just position. saying. There's yeah, a lot he, of things he's you got to consider. He's pro Jamie Spears. You got to consider yeah. a lot. Of he just can't find a way for have this as a dude's win. No, no, he did. So he's trying to percent dude's win. What about Sam? Yeah, exactly. What about Sam the man? Sam the man. As soon as as if the conservatorship the boyfriend. Yeah, he's clean her out like that's what <laughs> sam's gonna do i just love that you act like she can't handle her business i think she's perfectly capable of making sure people don't rob her blind i mean I'm we'll just... see people have been f- robbing her blind for like 15 years so but now she's got her voice back okay so i will say it is a little suspect why now all of a sudden jamie yeah. spears is like totally changing his tune so there have been some things on the internet that have come to light that might um explain this a little bit so my source is twitter Mm-hmm. But, you know, the Free Britney Army on Twitter is very strong and, and usually right. Um, but they were saying that Britney's dad has a bond for $47 million. And if he's found of wrongdoing during the conservatorship, he's responsible to pay that back. But if it ends, there's no investigation and huh. he won't have to pay any money back. Oh, so it, so, wow. so he might. It, one there's some theory self-preservation is, one theory going is on. He's, he's trying to cut this off yeah. at, at the knees so he mm-hmm. doesn't get investigated and have to like pay anything back which was an interesting theory especially because britney's lawyer said after he filed this petition to the extent mr spears believes he can try to avoid accountability and justice including you know blah 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 he's incorrect and our investigation into financial mismanagement and other issues will continue oh okay so so there's there might be a layer here yeah so he doesn't want to be on the hook right so he's trying to cut it off if he's cutting it off if he ends it I think in his mind, like the investigation would end and he wouldn't be responsible for anything that he did or didn't do during that time. So he's like, yeah, sure, terminate it. But this is a good social commentary on where we are, right? Because none of this stuff would happen without the Free Britney movement. Oh, That's 100%. Right. Wow. And, I, and I'll add Hollywood Hen and the Ruthless Variety program. Thank you. Let's go. Yeah, Thank you. 100%. I appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate that. I mean, she was out there in the... In she the went dead, to the streets. In the, I, I took to the streets. In the heat of the summer. <laughs> I know. In all black, free Britney. Which yeah. I love, by the way, to this day, like US News, when it, whenever they do a picture of Britney Spears and the free yeah. Britney it's your crew that's on I their, know. On I their know B-roll. my cousin and other people. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. Have you guys seen this? Yes. Yeah. It's no, absolutely it's hilarious. It's the ruthless crew <laughs> With that is in all of the B roll yeah, yeah. of, of the Me, free Foldy, a bunch of us. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's, it is a huge thing. I mean, they definitely, you know, the whole free Britney thing is what brought all this attention totally out there. You had like members of Congress weighing in where for years, like people didn't even know about it. So, yeah. So, so there's that theory that he's doing it to avoid any financial damages to himself. The second theory kind of along that actually the free Britney movement kind of pushed along was that he doesn't think the court is going to grant her the end of the conservatorship. So he puts this out there. He can be like, 
no, look, I tried. Oh, I did my best, thing. you know, yeah. like I ha- I was trying to fight for her. I was the only one, blah, blah, blah. Or not wow. the only one, but, you know, yeah. I, I was doing what was right. And so then he wins on both fronts. The conservatorship stays in place and he can say that he tried to get her out of it. And Man. so public opinion might, you know, not be so against him, which I think that that ship has already sailed. Right. But and, the, and she has no relationship with him. No, but at the end of the TMZ article, it specifically says he doesn't think that their relationship is done. He thinks it's almost creepy. His a source was like, Jamie Spears thinks that she'll come back to him just like she always has before. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it's a little... It's a little creepy. Well, I mean, look, on one level, it's a dad and his daughter, and this thing has gotten all messy, and, yeah. you know, parent stuff. Fame, you, money, You all hope of it. that people can figure out how to repair it, but, man, it seems like a lot of water went under that bridge. Yeah, yeah. So this is definitely a good and just kind of shocking development. Um, the next hearing is September 29th, which everyone is a little confused what's going to happen then because – before it was to hear a petition from Brittany to remove Jamie, yeah. But now that he's filed this petition, is it just it's a, like dis- this, did, do I, I don't know. Like, does this get moved up? Like the one Jamie's petition to end the conservatorship got set for January twenty twenty two, but everyone's like, why can't this be discussed at the September yeah. hearing? There's a little bit of confusion about what reminds, the next step. It, rem- it is. reminds me of the last time we talked about this when. Brittany spoke to the court and was like, I want to terminate right. the conservatorship. And the judge was like, <clears throat> we don't have a petition to do that. To do that. Right. And it's like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> and it's like, what is our, what is our judicial system? Right. Um, she basically said that she was getting abused. And, right. And nothing has really. And the lawyer happened. was like, oh, well, that hasn't been filed yet. Yeah. And it's like, we haven't gotten the right TPS report. <laughs> right. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. It's like, it's and it's so, such an indictment of our judicial system in a system where someone's personal liberty has been deprived. For 13 years. By, by third parties for 13 years. I mean, it absolutely is horrible, and it's a system that has to be reformed. And so people, the one criticism of her current lawyer, who I think is doing a great job, but they have, they've said, like, why isn't he moving faster? And the, their response is that because they're going through every single spending exponential. They want to ev- put, they want to yeah. put yeah. Jamie yes. on the hook. And they are trying to get Jamie on the hook. And in order to do that, they need to get all their ducks in a row before they file uh, yeah, to it. end. That's fair. So... It, it's going to, this September 29th, and Brittany's expected to attend that hearing. In person? In person. Ooh. So whatever is going to happen, whether it's just to remove her dad or if this gets bumped up, you know, to terminate gets bumped up then. Either way, it's going to be wild. Wow, so smug. Big news for Sam the man. Yeah, <laughs> right? He's going to have a great new year. Dude's so that's rule. January, you're saying? The, the no, September 29th. September. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Dude's rule. <laughs> Dude's right. Also, also everybody in the DMV area, there is supposed to be um, a march for Brittany on September 25th at the Capitol at 3 p.m. Really? Before the hearing, in case anybody wants to go. There's more details on Twitter, but yes. That's excellent, Han. This mm-hmm. is good stuff. Do we have? You have anything you want to say about Ben Affleck while you're here? No, I wish he keeps winning. I wished Smug a happy birthday with his his back tattoo. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I love that image. I tweeted a picture of Ben Affleck's back tattoo and said "Happy birthday, Smug." It, it's pretty amazing. I mean, have you seen his tattoo? It's, like it's a, gross. It's like I went. He, actually, he actually, here's the thing. So, so Hen tweets this thing out, and I ran, ran, literally ran yes, over to of, her out office, of out of breath, and I was like, "Is that photoshopped?" <laughs> 
Is that real? Does he really have that back tattoo? And it was real. And it's real. It's amazing. It's a it's a phoenix across his entire, entire back. back. Entire back. That shit is gross. Rising. It's disgusting. It is gross. It's disgusting. It's, it's a- the only thing in this whole conversation about Dudes Rock and Ben Affleck that has made me question Ben Affleck. Yes, I gotta be Duncan. honest. See, yes, no, so welcome is, to my this side. This is how I see it as. That it's, thing is it's gross, like dude. It's like icing on the cake. No, it like is gross. Like, the guy can make bad decision after bad decision. <laughs> he had, like, a great wife and kids. He's like, no. I'm going to binge drink, smoke, get Phoenix tattoos, okay. go out to Vegas. No, I'm not a boy. <laughs> Phoenix tattoos. I'm still not convinced that this ends well for him in any way. Well, I mean, he stays winning. He does gamble with J-Lo's mom, I read. Does he? Yeah. Really? He brought, like, J-Lo's mom to, like, That's kind of cool, though. Something. That's kind of cool. Can't be stopped. That guy's great. I love it. Hollywood Hen, everybody. Thank you. Thank See you. See you next time. All right, so you might have noticed that the President of the United States, Joe Biden, has been, well, shall we say, under a little bit of political pressure. Lately. Yeah, th- things are not going well. Um, and it's so bad that the mainstream media actually can't ignore it any longer. We've been talking about this since basically the beginning, about how this was inevitable. But now everybody else is sort of getting on board. Yeah, now it's a five-alarm fire. Yeah, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, the fellas might have known what they were talking about. Yeah, right. You know? I mean, this is great. Politico had the the like uh, headline said, there's no good news. <laughs> okay. There's no good oh, news. Wow. The, the Biden's rough summer puts Dems on high alert. So here's the quote out of the, the story. The party is all too aware of what happened in the last two Democratic presidents after a turbulent first two years. Joe Biden was billed as a steadying antidote to the turbulent years of Donald Trump. But after being buffeted by the summer, one crisis after another, COVID, Afghanistan, wildfires in the West, Hurricane Ida in the East, his young presidency confronting a make or break fall. So good. It's uh, so good. I love I love his young presidency. Is this low-key shady? Like uh, saying his young presidency <laughs> and then saying a make or break fall yeah. for Joe Biden? <laughs> make or break and young. It's like we got to give the guy a life alert. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. A life young alert. presidency. I mean, there's some editor back there high five. Just laughing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's so good. A make or break fall. But so... The New York Post reports that in seven Democratic swing districts, there is a new poll that says the $3.5 trillion spending bill, way too big. Yep. We've been talking about this. Yeah. Now, this survey was conducted by Remington Research Group, and it showed the president underwater by an average of seven percentage points on the economy, nine on foreign policy in the areas that were polled, which include California's 10th congressional district, Florida's seventh, Iowa's third, Michigan's eighth and eleventh, Virginia's second, Washington's eighth—all places that they are in deep trouble yep. of losing this majority. Yep. Right? This isn't like super red district. I mean, that's the, no. that's it right there. That's the difference. Right? No, I mean, it's look. This is this is what we've been saying. This is inevitable. You can't put policies into place that fundamentally destroy America, and then hope that everybody's just like, oh no, he's doing good. Well, and, and we talked about this previously, and, and, and the analogy I made was that Democrats chose a game manager. 
mm-hmm. you know, and the football analogy is like, this is Trent Dilfer. Yeah. Right? Like he's supposed to come in. He's supposed to get under center, take this some snaps. Yeah. He's supposed to hand the ball off. Right. Maybe he throws on third down, yeah. you know, for three yards, five yards. <laughs> he's not launching Hail Marys, <laughs> right? Because he's Trent Dilfer. That's right. That's Joe Biden. And now what you see is a guy who's in shotgun thrown from the hip every single down. Yeah, well, deep. 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 Throwing interceptions. Under a Tampa and, 2. Right. <laughs> a Tampa 2. We got safeties playing over the top. We got safeties He's over thrown the top. into double coverage on Afghanistan, on all this stuff. And it's, it's terrible, as we all knew it would be, as we have said on the program for six months. We have. We have. And Afghanistan broke the back. Yes. It broke the back. And he, there's more out of that. We're not going to cover a ton of it today. But, like, you know, look, he's got he's got the State Department saying they can't do private flights in and out of Afghanistan to evacuate Americans. They have no plan of any of this stuff. And so, eventually, every American who has any problem with any policy has to look at the competency of this administration at some level and be like, do these guys actually know what they're doing? And the answer is inevitably no. And, they don't. And the thing is that when they listed his failures, when they were like, okay, uh, COVID— Afghanistan, wildfires in the West, Hurricane Ida in the East. That's not even talking about the crisis at the border, which is a huge mess. Huge Absolutely mess. Absolutely huge mess. That's that. Here's the thing is there's so many problems that keep popping up. That's like, oh, we got to cover the new ones. You know, there's no time in the news to cover all the places that he's completely messed things up. Well, let's let, let's read this real quick. So YouGov Economist, the poll has Biden approval under 40 percent yikes so overall 39.50 approve disapprove just Men, remember hold on yes. i'm gonna pause you before you get into the breakdown of this yeah. just remember what the the national narrative of donald trump was uh-huh. when he had anywhere similar to these numbers and he was basically in the low 40s right right this is at 39 um the national narrative was a, a deeply unpopular yeah, president, yeah, yeah. unable to, to to discuss issues with the American people. He's he's flummoxed. He's right. he can't do anything. Yeah. Right, like they haven't gone that far yet, but at least they're printing the poll numbers. Yes. So so thirty nine fifty overall men thirty six fifty three women forty two. 46. He's underwater with women. Underwater with women. This That's is a amazing. Democratic president underwater with women. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. I mean, he's he's 65 amongst African Americans, which are the single demographic that he attributes to winning the presidency, right? When you ask Joe Biden and his administration, like, why is it that you won the primary? Why is it that you're president of the United States? They'll say it's because of the strong support of African-Americans. He slipped 20-something points amongst African-Americans in the first seven months of his presidency. Yeah, and with independence, he's at, this is independence, 35-56. Good night. Good night. Good Good night. night. You... (laughs) You want to be in his party running in a midterm? Oh, my God. I mean, yeah. That's a people, mess for them. I mean, like, that's the thing. is That's why they're sounding this alarm. That is with 3556 among independents. I mean, every swing district. I mean, they're toast. Maggie Hassan, Catherine Cortez Masto, Mark Kelly, Warnock. I mean, those they have to look at this and be like, <laughs> where are we going to archive our stuff? Right. You know, is there a university that'll take our things? 
right? Somebody load up the p- printer cartridges. It's been a nice term. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? It's terrible. I mean, these are these are historically bad numbers in, in, at this point in a presidency, and and Republicans who Democrats and the media love to say are split, you know, are you know, there's there's this huge Trump backlash amongst conservatives where they're they've split the party and they're still supportive of Biden. They're uh-uh. divided. They're divided. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. Uh uh-uh. uh. You still got ninety percent of Republicans at this point, That's which right. is absolutely as high as you'll ever get. Well, because the media wants the entire conversation to be about Donald Trump in this outgroup of Republicans yep. who yep. we can demonize yep. and that fascism is on the rise and it's this scary creeping thing we have to be worried about. Yep. But, but the reality is that the American voters, the people who don't go to CNN and MSNBC to get their news every night, they're evaluating the president of the United States. Right. They don't care about your bullshit narratives you're trying to broadcast every night. It doesn't matter. My ground beef cost three times right. what it did. The person who is president, it's time for them to deliver. The person who said they were going to shut down the virus, yep. it's time for them to deliver. The person who said the buck stops here. Yeah, right. Yep. And, well, and let's see it. Who, and they've done nothing. Yeah. The Biden administration has done nothing. Everything that they said they were going to fix has gotten worse. Way worse. Way, way worse. Way worse. Way worse. And it's just the poll numbers break it out. But, you know, the, the other thing is so, too, is the case for the mouthpieces of the Biden administration in the media. That's right. Right. So I saw this piece by Joey Brackett's he put up in, on Fox News, which is Joseph Wilson. Yeah, he's, a, he's a, just a friend of the program. Incredible all around, friend. All around great guy. So Brackett's goes into CNN's numbers. They spent the majority of the summer below a million viewers. Oh, you love to see it. And even worse during primetime. Yeah. Even worse during primetime. Yeah, how's that possible? You got the Ruthless Variety there, program. Right. There are more people who listen to this podcast than listen to CNN primetime. <laughs> Think about that. It's just unbelievable. We're just a couple of douches who plugged a microphone into the side of a computer. I mean, the thing is, is at what point, you know, do they realize they've created this monster themselves? You know, their purpose, they turned it into... It wasn't CNN. It wasn't a cable news network. It was just anti-Donald Trump broadcast, right? All day long, if you are mad at Trump, you get to watch this. You get people to tell you what you want to hear, you know, and feel good in your little zone. Well, now what are you talking about? You know, how many things are you going to try to tie Trump to when, when you've got a, a, a Biden in office who who's doing nothing but, like, making more messes? Like, but it's, it's right? the, who's going to listen to that? It's the death spiral of an economic model of news that's dependent on an audience that you've cultivated that is exclusively one thing. Yep. Yep. That is exclusively anti-Donald Trump. That was it. And there's nothing they can do to get themselves out of that spiral. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just become a huge problem. The White House is panicking. Yeah. Right. And they should. I would imagine these networks are panicking. Yeah. Like, at what point do you pull the plug on this? It's not like like trumpeting Joe Biden's presidency is giving them anything. They're losing viewers hand over fist. President is unpopular as it gets. But there's no there is no benefit to them running straight news. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. The, the, like it's not like suddenly they're going to gain audience by being honest. No, that's right. You know what I mean? Like that's what I'm saying with the death spiral is like now that they've committed to this 
squeezing blood out of a stone. Yeah, I- ideologically, they're committed to it. Yeah. You know, and so there, there is no easy way out of this death spiral. They pulled up the deck chair on the Titanic it's, and are listening to the music. We're, we're just going to sit down and we're going to play the orchestra. <laughs> and you know, you know who else isn't, uh, you know, who else isn't listening to CNN? This is hilarious. Uh, the Biden administration, the people there. Uh, this is from Politico's playbook, September 7th. Uh it says, when Biden gives public remarks, some White House staffers will either mute him or turn it off, according to White House officials. It's not that they're indifferent to what their boss has to say. Rather, they're filled with anxiety that he's going to take questions from the press and veer off the West Wing's carefully orchestrated messaging. Ugh. I mean, that's coming from inside the White House. They're saying that, yikes, I can't even see this. We know he's going to be a train wreck. This is why like, it's become like a meme of... As soon as he finishes saying the remarks that he, he even had that quote where he's like, this is what they told me to say. Uh, like carefully yeah, walk away from the mic. Is, yeah. then your job now, like they tell Joe, just turn around and walk. Like, so it is incredible. It, it's a funny thing that you bring up there because I always measure po- politicians. Like if there's a sports analogy to it, it's like, a, you know, the baseball stat wins above replacement. Right. You know, and I always measure a, a, a politician wins above like your average Republican, your average Democrat. Yeah. Like they're basically an even score. They rise and fall with the political environment. There are some candidates and some presidents who can transcend a political environment because of their skill set. Yeah. Right. Obama, Obama did it for us was one of those. He people, was very good at it. Right. Especially in a political sense. Biden is at the lowest set of wins above replacement of any politician I've ever been around. <laughs> he has no Absolutely None. no ability to dig himself out of a hole. None. Like he has basically ridden this goodwill that every president receives after being elected for six months. Yeah. And then it started to slide on him. And there's no way, if you listen to him on a day-to-day basis, it's angrier. It's more detached. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's less connection with reality when he can actually spit the words out. There's no way that he can sell an agenda that nobody wants he has no ability to connect with anybody whatsoever. Well, I would say that the the first indicator of this was on HR one and the fight in Georgia on the election reform bill when he came out first before a lot of people and said this is Jim Crow two point Yeah, and as president, you are offered that bully pulpit, like you yep. have an opportunity to amplify a message for your party. And that's the job of a president. And it carried no water. It None. didn't work. Yeah. None. And that was his high watermark. Like that was like his his first big opportunity to use the bully pulpit to drive a national narrative. And it failed. It went dramatically. Back, it went backwards. They went were, backwards. They were actually doing okay. Yeah. And they were beating us on the message until he got into that yes. mess. And yeah. then all of a sudden it dragged back. Yeah. You know? And now he's got no SWAT. He's got no SWAT, and he's trying to sell a $3.5 trillion tax increase at the same time. Half of his members are looking at the polls and being like, Jesus, I hope this doesn't come exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah. Like, that's the last thing I need on my plate. There's no political capital left. None. So you look at this. Like, Harvard uh, did a poll, which I didn't know they were in that line of work, but they did. And just on that spending plan, 82% of people were concerned about higher taxes down the line. Boom. 79% were concerned about economic uncertainty. 80% were concerned about runaway inflation. 77% 
were concerned about lower economic growth. That is stunning. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the numbers. If you're one of these uh, Dems running in a swing district, those aren't numbers you want to see. No, I mean, it's, but it goes to show he hasn't sold a damn thing. Nope. This is the signature piece of, he rolled this out as the cornerstone of his economic agenda last spring. Here we are in September. You got Joe Manchin right in op-ed saying, nah. That was great, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. Man. Right? Like, it's right in his face. But you, like, this guy is, you know, like you just said, like, he came in with all this goodwill, and that Manchin just, like, spikes the football in his face <laughs> in the Wall Street Journal with an op-ed, like, not happening, buddy. So, so he's been, Manchin has been the only one with the balls to say it out loud. Now I question whether he has the balls to actually stick to it, because he really hasn't in a lot of different things, mm-hmm. but... But, you know, granted, I'll, I'll give him the credit for saying it out loud. I believe that there are five or six Democrats underneath yes. that in yeah. the Senate who are like, please, Joe Manchin, be successful. It's yeah. not even a question, honestly. Like what you're saying, Holmes, is a fact. Yeah. That there are five members of that Senate caucus for the Democrats who agree with Joe Manchin. He's taken the slings and the arrows for them. Yeah. 100%. And so the idea that Chuck Schumer says full speed ahead, it doesn't matter, is hilarious. Hilarious. That was the best part. <laughs> so Manchin says, I want to pause. I don't want to do all this spending right now. I want to pause. And then Schumer comes out and says, he rejects it. Yeah. He Leroy, Leroy Jenkins is the whole thing. I reject it. <laughs> You're like, okay, well, you got 49 votes now. What are you rejecting exactly? Yeah, right. right. Oh, you reject it? You're going to well, reject. I reject. Hey, I reject your rejection. <laughs> I mean, that's you something, know? like, uh, I think I read something saying that Schumer's still going to try to bring it to the floor. It's like, uh, you want it to get killed in public? Like, yeah. that's not going to do anyone a favor on your side. But but here's, here, to the minions and all of our listeners who who concentrate on this stuff, now is the time to double down on this. Because you've got a bunch of Senate Democrats and a fair number of House Democrats who are feeling the pain. Right. They, they looking at they're looking at all they're the ones that are providing the fodder for the media to sort of provide all this apprehension that's going on with the Biden agenda. Now is the time to inundate these people. Yeah. It's it's the time to say like no, you're not going to ruin the American experiment in the first year of the pre- Biden presidency. Right. We're not going to do it. We're with not like going to be like a 5 seat majority in the house and an evenly divided Senate. Yeah. They're just not, they're not going to be, so we got to be really, I mean, these are all good news things, which we said was coming. Yeah. And I think in large part, our people have helped this happen because you've been concentrated on the right things, but now is the time to finish the job. Yes. And you know what I think is also really telling is, you know, who you're not hearing from at all? Kamala Harris. Like she might not have the sharpest political instincts, but even she knows I don't need to be a part of it. She's like, who's vice president? Yeah. Yeah, like witness protection. <laughs> yeah, Afghanistan's falling apart and she goes to Southeast Asia. <laughs> you know? Right. right. She knows how to get out of Dodge. It gets one up by the Chinese while yeah. she's out there. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I these guys are a disaster, the highest. But here here's I guess my summation of this point, and then I want to play a game. I believe that if we are able to kill this three and a half trillion dollar bill, that we will have a lame duck biden presidency in november of his first year which is incredible i really genuinely believe that what somebody else tell me what they're going to accomplish if they can't get their signature accomplishment done in year one what else are they going to do nothing nothing that's the thing is like if 
I think that's probably why they're just so desperate to get this because they know if 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 it doesn't get done, he's just bleeding like a stuck it's pig. It's over. It's over. It's over. You got Pelosi chirping up against Manchin. You've got you know wars across the House and the Senate in the Democratic Caucus. That's not good. It's not good. And all these House Democrats who were just elected in the last two years as quote quote unquote moderates, who by the way voted for the biggest piece of garbage last month um all of those people are saying like well pelosi's leaving next year yeah she's gone right do i really walk the plank on this but it's up to us to actually for to make sure that these people understand the political ramifications of it because we watched them walk walk the plank on obamacare yeah they all knew they were done and they still voted for it we need to make sure they know crystal clear there is no political fortune for somebody who supports this kind of agenda. That's right. Yep. All right, let's play a game. Let's do it. Yes. I love it. King of the Hill. Let's go. Okay. Let's do it. I love this game so much. I just love being able to, to come into it blind as judge and jury <laughs> and, and get this content fed to me. Let's go ringside. Ladies. Gentlemen, your attention, please. Welcome back to King of the Hill. It's time for our main event. And now, in the red corner, hiding out of the undersubscribed Atlantic magazine, a first-time contender, David Two Dogs, No Friends From. <laughs> and now, in the blue corner, hiding out of his own Twitter account, and current Champion of the world, Matthew Mail Pattern Dows. <laughs> oh, God. That's just, so good. I just love it so much. That's and, and, so and good. I, I, what I want to also mention is is that nickname for From the Two Dogs. Yeah, what, what's that no all friends. about? So on his profile, he says, uh, like that saying that in Washington, if you want a friend, Get a dog. So he's like, yeah. so I have two dogs. Which is like, <laughs> and I no friends. And no friends. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Smash oh, it in with some, so good. with some high heat there. It's so good. All right. So I'm the reigning champ. Yeah, I, you got to go first. A, I've been on a heater. Heater. I've been on a heater. Because doubt, you know, like we said with, with Smug and Radio Free, there's a, there's a meld there. Mind meld. Yeah. I feel like there's just been such a great meld with me and Dowd. And I'm, I'm, I'm debating what to go first with. I think I'll go with this one. Um, there's only one party trying to stop gun violence, listening to science on the pandemic, trying to raise the minimum wage and help workers, fighting for the constitutional rights of women, gives respect for all races and religion. It ain't the GOP. Vote blue. Straight activism. <laughs> Just straight. Straight activism from a Republican <laughs> consultant. Oh, I got that. I got this. I got this. It's just, here's the thing. The beauty, the beauty of it is its simplicity. Because this is a guy who spent his 
career as a Republican yeah. who is just straight up vote blue. Vote blue. And it, it, oh, it's so good. I, I got like a more concentrated version of that. This is David Frum, September 8th, 12.06 p.m. If it bothers you that liberals always act as if they are right and no more, wouldn't it make sense to argue with them over issues where they are wrong and no less, rather than over vaccines where they really are right and really do no more? <laughs> That's good. Incredible. Incredible. It's and, such and an again, inter- interesting appeal to authority. And, and Frum was once considered a, a conservative. Now yeah. just straight up, guys, why are you trying to argue with liberals when they're always right? <laughs> what a take. What I love about that is is that it's supposed to be assumed that liberals know more about yeah. science and vaccines. That 100%. they know more and, and, and you're supposed to agree with them because they know more. That's it. It's the best for guys like David Frum to become Democratic activists It's the and, and Dowd for that matter. It's the best codification that I know of, of the separation of the modern day parties, this intellectual elite. Yeah. Like, because yeah. every, the underpinning of all of this is like, Oh, these dumb people. Both yeah. tweets. That really is both that, tweets. I mean, that, that says it. I, I completely agree. It like, is an appeal. And it's an appeal to authority. And we talked about this on the last episode where it's an appeal to authority where no authority is actually There's no authority. Seriously. They have no idea what None. they're talking about. None. We've seen this with COVID. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect example. All these people said, you know, don't wear a mask. Because and, and, and it steps over their message be, completely. Be, yeah, right. He's like, hey, uh, you know, why don't you just listen to liberals? Because they're always right when it comes to uh, the vaccine. Like Kamala last right, the year people when who, she right. said, I'm not, said, not going to trust the vaccine. Yeah. I'm not going to trust the vaccine. Always and right. then also don't wear a mask. Also wear a mask. Actually wear two masks. And also why are you questioning the vaccine? Bingo. You know, like this, these people act like they're better than us. And that's from, that's from in a nutshell. That's wonderful. Can you read yours again, Holmes? Yeah, I'm happy to. There is only one party trying to stop gun violence, listening to science and the pandemic, trying to raise the minimum wage and help workers fight for the constitutional rights of women and gives respect to all people of all races and religion. It ain't the GOP. Vote blue. Vote blue. Huh. So, so they're divergent in one way. One is an activism tweet, and one is an elitism tweet. The the the, the wrinkle on Dowd. Yeah. Six months ago, he was the lead political analyst for ABC News. That's true. That's true. And this is also a guy who's supposed to be a Republican strategist, right? Who now thinks that abortion is codified in the Constitution. Constitutional rights of women. Yeah. And don't forget, Frum was the author of uh, the, the the Axis of Evil. That was his creation. Yeah, he created that. Oh, that's true. That's a good one. Gosh, this is a tough one, guys. This is a tough one. I think Dowd, maybe he gets a little bit of of the the Ruben bar mm. in some sense because he's so prolific. The tweet is great. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. 
But when you add in the elitism of the from tweet, that strikes a chord with the judge and jury that I can't deny. And for that reason, smug and from win round one. It's good. It's good. I'll take it. The elitism piece is nice. And and I, I understand the judge and the juries. So now I'm forced to go with a nuclear weapon. Oh, you're going nuclear. <laughs> I have to. I can't have to we have to push this sucker in a third round no matter what. So I gotta I gotta drop my Well, gun. you don't have to go first. Smug. You can fire it off. Yeah, you well, love, I love how Smug sits back and lets you go first if you want you to. Have. No, I know, but I, I listen, depending upon well, let's let's hear it. If let's if, hear it. if you're confident, I'm No, 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 go it. ahead, go ahead. Yeah. I am very confident in this one, but I might save it depending on what I hear from you. I think you're gonna have to bring it. This one is just crazy. <laughs> this is from September fifth at eight thirty seven AM. He was dropping this in the first thing in the morning. I love the context. It's a it's a, a quote retweet of Greg Abbott. Uh, saying that Texas safeguards the Second Amendment. David Frum, as America leaves Afghanistan, Governor Abbott does his bit to bring Afghanistan's firearms culture to America. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, I gotta bring it. (laughs) I didn't know the Second Amendment came from Afghanistan. Holy cats. Unbelievable. Holy cats. I would pay so much fucking money (laughs) to to see David Frum fire a weapon <laughs> and record it i mean to see to see that guy actually exercise the second amendment would be hilarious to watch worth worth his way he's like the sort of guy to close both eyes <laughs> uh, and remember this is a response to 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 governor abbott saying that texas will safeguard the second amendment yeah everything's the taliban up and he's like here we go yeah, every, everything's the taliban the taliban's here now yeah shit i'm gonna have to bring it it's okay the only way out. let's hear it If the media covered the assault on democracy here and the rise of white supremacy terrorism in America like they have Afghanistan, we might actually have a voting rights bill that could be holding domestic terrorists and their instigators accountable. (laughs) That's good. Okay, that's good. That's good. (laughs) But the thing is, is like how it makes such little sense. I would pay so much money to be in their DM group. Like I, what's so funny about that tweet and, and and the from tweet for that matter is that all they've done is that they've taken Joe Biden's failure in Afghanistan's withdrawal, and now it's everybody else's fault. Not only is it everybody else's it's the fault, media, it's the media. It's actually the Taliban is here, and they've always been here. They're just called Republicans. <laughs> The thing is, is it's it's really remarkable because that from Dowd is straight up just like word salad. He's like, if we get a voting rights bill, it'll hold domestic terrorists accountable. Like, what's going to be in this voting rights bill? But what you're seeing, and, 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 and you're making the argument for Holmes here in yeah, some I, sense. Yeah, I mean, I, it's an appreciation. It, beca- it really is because it, re- it it is it is Mad Libs for libs. libs. Bingo. And but that's the reason why Holmes wins round two. It's just, I knew I had one kill shot. That's something, man. I that know, is something. It's really something. All right. So my third and final entry is one of the things that I appreciate. You know, when we talk about the different angles that people bring and Ruben's brain worms. Yeah. And I've always talked about part of Dowd, the mystique of Dowd is the Sorkin piece. Yeah. 
right? It's like he can do the brain worms, but he can also do this false melodramatic. Right, the soaring rhetoric yeah, that the, you would, the, the Sorkin <laughs> soaring rhetoric. Where it just doesn't apply. It doesn't actually apply. Right? It's like it, it, it's somehow he's on stage yeah, amidst this sort of moonlight <laughs> giving this important address <laughs> on the state of our nation. Uh, Here it is. Folks, we're in this together. We must fight for all citizens. As the last words of the Declaration of Independence say, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I pledge my life and my fortune and my sacred honor to turn Texas blue. What? the saddest shit. <laughs> it's the saddest shit. Like, what's going on? I would love to have seen what's around him at 11 a.m. to right. write a tweet like that. If I mean, he might just be playing for King of the Hill at this I point. I like the bolt-on of, like, we're going to turn Texas yeah. blue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> my sacred... My fortune. My fortune. My sacred honor. <laughs> To turn Texas blue. <laughs> That's something. So there you are, pal. Smug. It's over so the here's, net. So here's, uh, I, I saved this one because it's truly remarkable. This has a uh, uh, a bit of a meta, okay. you know, attachment to it. This is David from on September 7th. He says, it's a quote retweet of himself. <laughs> well, hold, hold on, hold on. Misuse There's the a misuse of the internet? <laughs> It's it, and it gets better, oh, and it says you're playing to the judge and jury. <laughs> and it says this thread upset a lot of people yesterday. Here's the conclusion: just bringing back when he was just getting rammed. I'm getting ratio. Yeah, he's like, come on, guys, help out here. Retweets himself saying, but for those who imagine the private gun as their defense against state oppression, the sad record of American history is that the private gun has much more often been used by local tyrants to oppress neighbors peacefully exercising their legitimate rights. And, and all caps, end. 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 So that, you know, you know, Lexington Concord, Wait, so that was never, you know, the private gun rising up against tyranny. I can't think of an instance in U.S. history of the private gun being can like... You, can, you, t- can, I, can I ask that you read the tweet that he was quote-tweeting? Yeah, that's can the you one, find that? That's the one that he, he was his quote retweeting himself. Okay, got that, it. Uh, the one thing that the private gun has never fought tyranny in America. Can, can I can I have an approach the bench moment on that? I'll allow it. Um, was the quote tweet in the same? This is like a day after. Yes. Okay. It's within the one week period. Withdraw my objection. And and and. Was the quote tweet a thread? What what, what was this? Yeah, it was. A, he was a, he had a thread where he was basically saying that you know there should be no private gun oh, ownership yeah, second, in America. Yeah, the Second Amendment's worthless, and that's what he means by mm-hmm. the private gun. So he he he's basically spends a thread saying that private gun ownership is bad, and then he says it's in America. It's never been used, you know, to fight tyranny except for 
the Revolutionary War when we became America. <laughs> Can you? It's pretty good. Right, and then I, he I, says, I need you to read it one more time. I'm sure, sorry. I sure. just have you. You got to read it. One oh, more it's, time. it's it's really something. But for those who imagine the private gun as their defense against state oppression, the sad record of American history is that the private gun has much more often been used by local tyrants to oppress neighbors peacefully exercising their legitimate rights. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> the sad Ten. record of American history, like the start of American history actually was the private gun start winning of, independence. The start of America itself. <laughs> all, all of human history. All, all, literally all of human history. All of indi- individual liberty in the in world history has has been determined by individuals having the ability to have private arms. And the icing on the cake is he brings it back. Self quote retweet. This yeah. thread upset a lot of people. It's a yesterday. well done deal. It's a well done. That's well. Deal. It's that's incredibly well done. My 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 closer here is quoting the Declaration of Independence. And then saying he pledges his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. Yes. In a tweet at 11 a.m. It's. <clears throat> yes. So what we're. Sacred we, honor. Of what we have out? here. We have soaring rhetoric. We have a Sorkin-esque rhetoric, which ends with. Texas blue. Some very cringe content. Cringe. Very cringe Straight content. partisan. Up against. I would argue even more cringe (laughs) to misuse the internet and quote tweet yourself to talk about how, uh, you know, the, the individual right to own guns has never been about having freedom in this country. Basically, actually the government does it better. (laughs) The The government does it better. This is a tough This one. is tough. This is tough. And you know why it's really tough is my instinct in reading that Dow tweet would be like game over. Right. That would that would be my instinct. However, the misuse of the internet. Oh, you got him on the misuse. The misuse of the internet for me is a hobby horse. He re-ups. And for that reason, I have to say, from when? Oh, wow, huge, the first huge, time. Massive huge. upset. That's yeah. like a Buster Douglas, Mike Tyson I mean, situation. That's a, that's a huge, huge win for From. And I think, you know, for a while, he's been flying under the radar. I don't know if this is like the Ron Klain effect of like, yeah. you know, people are really trying to get out there. Or what, like, to, to out of nowhere be like, I'm dropping a thread today about how the Second Amendment is bad, and also yeah. uh, we're importing Afghanistan's gun, cu- gun culture. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> he has he has clearly flown under the radar. We haven't used him enough, and I'm glad we brought him into the mix because, you know, it just yeah. livens yeah. it up. And hey. I'll, I'll be honest, th- there are times where I've come in with Dowd content where I felt like, I think this can win. I came in with these three saying, oh, he's going to win. Yeah, and I didn't expect that out of doubt or out of uh, from. I didn't. I didn't expect that kind of game. It's good game, man. It's, it's really good game. top stuff. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Radio Free Tom. Yeah, he snuck up on us. Yeah, like like new genre. There is a a dripping disdain for people and yeah. every word that he yeah. writes. Yeah, right, right. Like Radio Free Tom, that's like a different take than your than your Rubens or your Dowds. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, look, good, great, great. Yeah, I love it. And you know what? You just bring another, you know, contestant in King of the Hill. It's just a better ecosystem. And they're all going to just up their game even more. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right, fellas. Well, that is King of the Hill. We need to get to a very big interview. The ranking member on the House Ways and Means. He's a, a really important guy, particularly what we're talking about now. Congressman Kevin Brady. I want to welcome to the program a really interesting guy. He's one of the principal authors of, uh, in my mind, the crowning legislative achievement of the Trump era in tax reform. Texas Congressman Kevin Brady. Welcome to the program. Josh, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I got to ask about your backdrop. Are you, is this, are you in front of your house? Yeah, so we, we live in the Woodlands, Texas, just north of Houston, about 30 miles. And we've lived here, man, long time, raised our boys here. So, yeah, it's a, it's just an old-fashioned front porch home, which, it. yeah, I do too. Uh, we, we're, we, we love, and our, the thing is, our whole neighborhood is like flags flying. And, yeah, it's just a great area. Oh, that's awesome. Well, for those of you who can't see, he's standing in front of a, just a beautiful Texas home and a flag flying and exactly what you expect from Kevin Brady. So <laughs> I, I appreciate the backdrop. Listen, I want to get into serious business here for a minute because when you return to Washington, uh, Democrats are basically trying to reshape the entire country with what they've got in this $3.5 trillion spending and taxing plan. What is your take on where all that sits? Yeah, so they are, so Josh, they are racing and ramming this through Congress as quickly as they can. As you know, Speaker Pelosi just bludgeoned those nine or 10 moderate Democrats yeah. back in the line uh, a couple of weeks ago. So they're racing to do this. We'll start voting on these tax hikes uh, and welfare expansion uh, in two days uh, in the Ways and Means Committee. And both sides of that equation are pretty dangerous. I think it's a uh, Spending-wise, the largest expansion of our welfare state in our lifetimes, for sure. And the end result is you're going to have, I think, a new generation of Americans, you know, hooked into government dependency that, frankly, we've been working since before yeah. Bill Clinton to do. The other side's the taxes. They are, this is, especially on following Afghanistan, it is an economic surrender to China, Russia, Europe, and others. It's crippling. On, on small businesses, and I don't care what the president says, it lands on middle-class taxpayers. So it is, it is as, I think, dangerous and risky uh, an approach as, as I've ever seen up in Congress. Which is really something. I mean, you've seen all of this up close. And as I mentioned, yeah. we're, we're one of the principal authors of the tax reform back in 2017, which, you know, the result of which you can argue what you want to argue about that tax reform bill. The results are pretty clear. I mean, we had an absolutely yeah. roaring economy that was creating jobs in a massive clip, closing wage gaps. I mean, people were, were enjoying the economy. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. And there's not a tax cut they can deal with, with something like that. But these guys take that and then try to use it as an opportunity to entirely reshape our economy. Yeah, they really do. And in, in trying to make the temporary COVID measures permanent long-term is a huge mistake from that welfare state approach. The other thing is, look, um, whether you support the tax cuts or not, it helped real people. And in 2019, three things happened because we'd finally seen sort of what's this new tax going to do? And what we saw was one, poverty levels, lowest levels in half a century. Secondly, household income went up more. So That's the right. family budget 
one year went up more than all eight years of Obama Biden. So real families got help. But the other thing, income inequality began to shrink for the first time. Every economist said it couldn't be done. And it wasn't because we suppressed the, the successful. No, we created economic growth and opportunities for everyone, including those who'd been left behind in the old tax code. So that's how we lifted six million people out of poverty. It felt like almost overnight with better wages and more jobs. That's the right way to do these really important social goals. Do it through unleashing the economy, not, not suppressing it. Oh, absolutely. Listen, you've been one of the most refreshing voices on, on how taxes can affect the American people for as long as I can remember. And it feels like we've gone through different iterations of the Republican Party where we've had different levels of support for, for cutting taxes. The one thing that really irritated me that Democrats, I think, had some success at after 2017 is trying to label what you, your committee, and ultimately the Congress and the president did as somehow tax cuts for the rich. It was exactly the opposite of that. It was exactly the opposite. In fact, the burden of government rose for the wealthy because of ours, because most of the focus, three out of every $4 went to families. Mostly the highest percentage, obviously, on low income, moderate income, blue collar workers. And that statement on corporations, the wealthy have been fact checked, yeah. you know, more times than the Kardashians have been on TV. <laughs> but yet it still prevails. And uh, I guarantee in two days in Ways and Means Committee, you'll hear the same, the same stuff. Oh, the same exact thing, which is so yeah. incredible because the statistics, as you just mentioned, bear out what exactly what it was. You know, income yeah. inequality closes. You've got jobs, better wages, all the things that happen as a result of your tax. They're trying to undo all of that and then layer on another three and a half trillion dollars. Yeah. I think your office put something out. I was looking at the other day that said it's the largest tax hike since 1968. Yeah, it is. And, and couldn't come at the worst possible time. And we're trying to rebuild this economy. You want businesses back on their feet. You want them, workers reconnected to their work. You want the economy going the right direction. The, these taxes do exactly the opposite of that. And, and frankly, no country has ever raised taxes like this, trying to get out of a economic crisis, which is what we were in. But uh, the recovery under President Trump beat expectations big time, but it has really slowed under President Biden. And, and frankly, if he had taken a six-month vacation after getting sworn in, our economy would be strong. I'm not about trying to be disrespectful, but the policies he's gotten has really, here's more than COVID at work in this yeah. really bad jobs report last Friday. No, oh, of course. I mean, inflation, which I know you've talked a lot about. Yeah. Also, also just the workforce, you know, the number of people because of those continued COVID extensions on unemployment and the like, they're not going back to work. And, and we've had a huge, huge sort of wet blanket on top of the economy as a result. Yeah. And it, it is hurting working families. I think every month this year, prices have uh, gone up faster than paychecks. By the way, it was the opposite under President Trump. Wages went up twice as fast as prices. But what that means is, you know, the purchasing power of families is shrinking. It is harder to buy what you need, and there's no end in sight. You add another $3.5 trillion of fuel into that inflation with this spending bill, this, this, there's nothing short-term 
about this. We are going to, families are going to lose ground. Yeah, it's just, it's awful. Um, well, listen, one of the things that I've respected the most about since you've been sort of sitting on top of the Ways and Means Committee is your ability to corral folks and get consensus and keep Republicans largely on the, on the same page, which, you know, from an under the dome perspective, I'll tell your listeners, that is no, no easy feat, right? <laughs> I mean, everybody's got a lot of ideas. And, and when you sit yeah. on a committee like that, you feel like they should be implemented, but you've kept everybody pretty focused through the years. And the, looking at the legislative environment that you left in July and now pick up in September, it is hard to see how you haven't made a lot of progress. I think Democrats are beginning to be a little nervous politically about what they're trying to embark upon. They should be. Uh, I think they're now finally starting to hear back home from Main Street businesses, from family-owned farms and businesses, from realtors, from middle class that, look, this, these tax hikes are going to kill us. And, you know, there are, you know, 15 or 16 Democrats in the House, for example, Josh, who run back home as Main Street moderate Democrats. And I right. think for the most part, they, they try to vote that way, but, but you can't be a Main Street moderate and vote for these tax hikes. It is incompatible with that. And I think they're starting to realize they're not likely to come back, you know, yeah, to does Congress. It feel, I was going to yeah. ask you, does it feel yeah. a little familiar? I mean, I remember back when I was working in McConnell's office in, in 2009 and 2010, it, some of the House Democrats sort of had that look in their eye that they knew Obamacare was going to sink their ship, but they just sort of, they knew they had to go down with it. And, uh, and I wonder if we've entered that place with House Democrats. I mean, I, they, they know that this is going to be a political disaster for them. Do you think that there are enough of them that will hold out that will try to do the right thing here? Yeah, so short answer is I hope so. They haven't yet. Obviously, that unanimous vote for the green light on all yeah. the tax hikes and spending was unexpected. Uh, you know, can Speaker Pelosi just, again, trout bludgeon them back in to uh, place for these tax hikes. I hope not. I hope there's enough, you know, moderates who will reject her agenda. Just say, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with my voters and my community and my small businesses and my family-owned farms. Uh, but, but remains to be seen. Oh, the next three weeks uh, is going to tell the tale here. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. You mentioned Pelosi and her ability to get all these Democrats back on board for this thing. We'll see if she ultimately is able to do it. But when you talk to some of your colleagues across the aisle, what is it about Pelosi's poll that allows them to stay? I mean, she's not very politically popular. No. Right. And, and even in, amongst Democrats, she's not particularly popular. She's a lame duck speaker, probably lame duck leader of her own party, as she's already announced. What can she do to somebody to try to persuade them? I mean, if, if they do the right thing, they're going to be around a lot longer than she is. You would think, and I think that's what those moderate Democrats uh, were thinking and I, on, in asking the infrastructure bill to be voted separately from all the tax hikes. Pretty reasonable request, by the way, since yeah. there's so much support for infrastructure. I not necessarily like that bill, but the point still is pretty fair request. And you know, she just stripped them naked and left them by the side of the road there without any, without a blink. And so I would think if I were a Main Street moderate Democrat who's trying to do the right thing and wants to come back in a year and a half, you know, that, that you would make it clear you are independent 
from her and you're going to stand up for your local jobs. But we'll see. I, I know she's a fundraising machine. I know she's got a very talented a team around her. Uh, something works for her in the house. But I think she's decided, just like under Obamacare, we're not coming back. We're losing the majority. We're going for it. Yeah. It just, that's, that's just to your point, that's what it feels like. It does feel like that. And of course, if she's hanging it up, it makes her easier, easier to make that call, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, but um, so much to my dismay, back in April, you announced that this would be your last term. And, and I say much to my dismay because I think you are one of the clearer voices on these issues and have been an incredible leader for our party and fiscal conservatives everywhere. Thanks, Josh. Uh, Thank but, you. But you're, so you're, you're nearing the end here. What are your thoughts? Yes. So uh, I, I still love my job, Josh. I'm not discouraged, not disheartened. Uh, actually, I, I have a lot of faith in, frankly, who I work with in Congress. There, there's a middle class there, really good people. You know what I mean? And yep. you don't always see or read about them because they're not doing dumb things or saying extreme things. They are working very hard. But, but bottom line is 25 years is yeah. a pretty good haul and a pretty good run. I, had, I got a chance to do some pretty neat things. So yeah, the timing was just seemed exactly right for all the right reasons. But we still have some bad tax hikes to stop, you know, yeah. between now and then. So you got to saddle up no matter what. And I, yeah. and I think you're going to play a big role in hopefully what will be a Republican takeover of the House in 2022. What is your sense about where all that sits? Yeah, I feel really, really good about it. I think it gets better every day. And I think what's most encouraging is no one is taking it for granted. We know. When the other side's got three and a half trillion, you know, to give away, you know, you're fighting a lot of people getting free checks, sort of Olive Garden, never ending, possible, but this time never ending checks for people. That makes it harder. Uh, but our our team is absolutely unified here. So I feel good about it because we're we are not taking anything for granted. One of the things that I've asked our guests um who are positioned similarly like you that have had a lot of accomplishments and have seen how things get done in Washington and, and been able to achieve some big things for the conservative movement is whether or not you and your staff have been giving a lot of thought to what you do. If you take over the house, God yeah. willing, take over the Senate and in 2024 are able to have a Republican president. Are you going to leave some notes behind Congressman? Of what no. in the, at least in the tax space where we've got a, a forward leaning agenda where we're doing what Democrats do, where we ultimately yeah, yeah. hit the ground running. Yeah. So good, we, we learned a lot of lessons from Democrats this past seven months. I mean, they have just, just, they are all together and they are pushing big, bold reforms uh, wrong direction, obviously, but I think it's been a wake-up call. So the short answer is yeah. In fact, our leader, Kevin McCarthy, has put together in the conference about six teams on everything from the economy to health care to national security to independence from China on issues so that we are, we've built consensus and are ready to roll, you know, when we, when the American people give us back a chance to lead again. So yeah, I feel good. And, and I'll just tell you too, on the Ways and Means Committee, we have an unbelievably talented team, both on the committee members and the professional staff. And I have no doubt they are, uh, they are going to drive that committee as far and as fast as uh, Republicans need it to be. So I'm really optimistic about that. 
Yeah, no, listen, I agree. I had the good fortune with your invitation of speaking with some of them early this year. And I was, I was really enthused by the optimism and sort of the teamwork of that crew. Again, you get a big Ways and Means Committee membership and you never know how people are going to work together. It seems to me like you've got everybody working together in a really, really positive way. Thanks. They're great. They're great. So let me switch gears uh, for a minute, because one of the things I think that has contributed to the political change that we've seen from August uh, now into September is obviously Afghanistan. And I know you have some thoughts on what we've seen uh, there and, and where we are today. Well, I had probably like you, I never dreamed that we would, in one fell swoop, all politically motivated, surrender to the Taliban, betray our allies, leave Americans behind enemy lines, and destroy our standing as a reliable partner in the world, all, all for one political goal of, of standing on, at 9-11 on the 20th anniversary for President Biden to say I ended the forever war. That, that drove all this horrible action. We're not going to recover from it anytime soon. We've given huge openings to the Chinas and the Russians and the, and the terrorist uh, Islamic extremists, all of that. And, and frankly, you know, it's been disheartening, I think, for a lot of Americans yeah. to see that happen so quickly for no reason. And, and among our veteran community, as you'd imagine, man, it's, it has been anger, frustration, disheartenment. Uh, yeah, and we're not done yet. You know, our focus, these nonprofits are still fighting to get our Americans and allies out. And wouldn't it be great if our government actually was helping them do this? I mean, that we weren't at the mercy of the Taliban and the State Department isn't, isn't saying, no, we're not there anymore. You know, yeah. we're, there's not a lot we can do. Thank God there's some people within those agencies who are kind of battling behind the scenes to help our nonprofits. They've been, they're sort of some of the unsung heroes here. Yeah, well, and former special forces that are over there trying to get interpreters yep. and the kind of thing. I mean, really, you're seeing the best of, of America in a yep. lot of ways through that. But you're right. The government is – I was blown away by a New York Times article over the weekend about the planes that were stuck in Kabul uh, while Americans tried to n negotiate, basically, yeah. their way out of, out of Afghanistan. You know, it, when you remove all your leverage, when you take away the – the forces that we had in Kabul and across Afghanistan, I mean, obviously this was going to happen. I mean, it just, it seems so dumb. It was, it was not an intelligence failure. It's not a military failure. It, it is the failure of the commander in chief. Yeah. I mean, there's no other, you can't put, you can't, you know, fairly put the blame anywhere else. This wasn't going to be an easy exit, which president Trump absolutely understood which is why there had to be conditions and the right way to do it. But boy, this president was just hell bent on leaving overnight. And gosh, what a, what a price we're paying for this. No kidding. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a tragedy, obviously. And I, I have a feeling we're a long way from done on all yep. of that. Let me lift the spirits a minute because we've got to get to three big questions for Kevin Brady. These are the ones that everybody pays attention oh, to, yeah. Congressman. So this is, these are the big ones. Uh, Texas man, I think I probably know the answer to this, but your uh, your last meal on earth, sir, what would it be? Man, okay, big toss up here. We got <laughs> right. the Texas barbecue. Yeah, right. but you knew that was coming. Uh, 
fajitas, man, Tex-Mex fajitas. How do you not go? And of course, the 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 old you got to go to bacon cheeseburger. Can I put all three of them? Oh yeah, no, on it's, the it's same your plate. Meal. It's your meal. They're, they're mine. That's it right there. <laughs> because you're not calorie counting on your last meal. Apparently <laughs> not. No, nor a vegan, as you can tell. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So so we got maybe probably some brisket, Texas barbecue, all that. We got oh, fajitas, yeah. and then we got a burger in there with some bacon on it. Perfect. And some blue cheese. Make it work. Make it happen. I love it. I love it. Okay. All right. So this one is interesting because you may end up finding out here in the next uh, year or so. But, but the question is, if you never got into politics in the first place, what do you think you'd be doing with your life? You know, uh, I'll tell you my, my dream job outside of, of Congress. I'd love to be the owner of a minor league baseball team. Yes. I, I love one, I love baseball, still play it. It is the grace of sports. But these minor league teams, the way they're connected, the community, and just that whole community spirit, I love it. I always go down to – I take our boys, Kathy and I, to Mustang Island near Corpus Christi. Yeah. And the Hooks, Corpus Christi Hooks, Astros. And it's so much fun at Whataburger Field. So we try to go to minor league, you know, stadiums when we travel. And it's just, to me – it's just a joy. So that that's my bucket list. I love uh, that job that, right there. That's so. somebody, somebody ought to help Congressman Brady on that because I, <laughs> I, I love that so much. When I uh, worked on McConnell's campaign back in 2014, I rented an apartment that was kind of across the street from the minor league team, the bats. There, oh, did the you? Bats. Yeah. And yeah. I would go after work at like seventh, eighth inning. I just stumble and have a hot dog and a beer and just sort of relax for the day. And it was the best baseball you're ever going to see. Yeah, yeah. Those those, that, that, those guys are hustling. They're they trying are. to make it to the bigs, and uh, everyone knows it. And the community's behind them, and and never forgets them when they go up to yes. the major leagues. You know what I mean? They they still have all their uniforms on, and the Corpus Christi Hooks every Wednesday during the season they change the entire name of the team to the Honey Butter Chicken Biscuits <laughs> every Wednesday game. You can't make this up. It's minor league ball, and the whole community loves it. I love it. I love it. All right. So here's the third and final question gets to the core of what motivates you. Uh, Congressman Brady, what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Yeah, close call. Thrill of victory, though, there's got to be because, look, you know, we're built. Are you a wrecker or are you a builder? We're builders, right? So as conservatives, we're building. And so like on tax reform, it was always the thrill of what, what we could do for real people if we change that old broken, outdated tax code. And so that was the big motivator for all of us going forward. Are we, are we fighting the agony, the feet in these tax hikes? Absolutely. But the motivator is, is building, you know, an e- economic freedom. So real people, you know, ha- have better lives. That's, that's, that's what motivates you. At least that's what motivates me more. I love it. I love it. Listen, Congressman Kevin Brady, one of the good-natured, great temperament, most accomplished guys that I know under the dome. Thank you so much for joining us in our audience and giving us a little insight into what's going on up there. Thanks, Josh. It's great to see you, by the way. Yeah, good to see you. We'll talk soon. Thanks. See you. Bye now. So the thing I like about Brady more than anything is he's just he has such clarity of thought when it comes to supply-side economics, when it comes to the, the in my view, the core of the Republican Party, which is limited government, yeah, and this this rejecting this notion that somehow 
spending your way out of these problems and, and creating an entire dependent culture is somehow economically viable. And I just, he's always been extremely articulate on this stuff. And I just, I really appreciate his, his good words. And a hell of a guy. And yeah, hell, he's a hell, of a guy. hell of a guy. And I've known multiple people who've worked for him. Yeah, they love him. Every single person who has worked for Kevin Brady says that he is an incredible person. Yeah, you know, that's the thing, the underrated... It, it's, 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 I mean, it's not uncommon that people love their boss on Capitol Hill, but him, more than most, I would say to a T, every person I know who's been close to his orbit has said, this is a guy who not only knows his stuff, but is an incredibly positive and 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 good boss. Yeah, yeah, and that's the secret to success. And a lot you don't get to be where he is with stuff without doing that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I think we did it, fellas. All right, so that's another banger of an episode, gentlemen. Outstanding work, and we got a new champion for King of the Hill. So that's exciting too. Uh, so until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.